Good evening, and welcome to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking weekly show covering legal issues affecting everyday people. We know that there are many things you could be doing with your time, and we appreciate your decision to share this time with us. I'm Irving Joyner. And I'm April Dawson. We're law professors at North Carolina Central University School of Law, and we're your co-hosts. The Legal Eagle Review is sponsored by the NCCU School of Law and the Virtual Justice Project. We thank you for joining us this evening. June is LGBTQ Pride Month. There have been several milestones in the fight for recognition and equality for members of the LGBTQ community. From the June 1969 Stonewall Inn uprising to the 2003 Supreme Court Lawrence v. Texas decision, which recognized the constitutional right of same-sex couples to engage in intimate consensual sexual conduct, to the 2015 Obergefell v. Hodges case, where the Supreme Court recognized a constitutional right to same-sex marriage, to the 2020 decision in Bostock v. Clayton County, where the Supreme Court ruled that federal law prohibits employment discrimination based on sexual orientation or gender identity. While this month provides an opportunity to celebrate advances made, it also provides an opportunity to emphasize that, that, that despite gains made to ensure equality for LGBTQ community, many lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer people are still not able to live openly without discrimination. And many of the most impacted by unjust treatment are the youth and people of color. Tonight, we're going to talk about LGBTQ rights and the ongoing fight for equality. We have joining us for this discussion, Vernetta Austin, who is a member of the North Carolina House of Representatives representing the 29th District. Also joining us is Lydia Lavelle, Mayor of Carborough, and also Professor of Law at NCCU School of Law. We thank you both for taking time out of your schedule and joining us for this incredibly important discussion. Um, we're gonna start with having each of you share your background with us and talk about the work that you do to advance LGBTQ rights. And Representative Alston, let's start with you. Thank you, April, and uh, thank you for having such an important conversation during um, such a such a kind of important month to think about and recognize LGBTQ rights and in, in our history. So, uh, I'm Vernetta Alston. I represent District 29 in the North Carolina House, and that's principally southwestern Durham County. Uh, I've served for just over a year in the General Assembly, uh, and prior to that, uh, served on the Durham City Council uh, for just about two and a half years. Uh, I'm a lawyer by training, uh, practiced uh, criminal defense work, and most of, most of that time I spent uh, doing death penalty defense work for a statewide organization. Uh, and I'm, I'm an out LGBTQ identified person. I'm one of five in the North Carolina House, uh, which you know, is, is, is really a, a remarkable statistic given the amount of progress we've made in that, in that kind of representation in our government here in North Carolina. Uh, I'm, I'm married. My wife and I have two beautiful and very messy children, uh, and we feel very fortunate to live in a place like Durham that has 
prioritized and really championed inclusion and fairness for folks in the LGBTQ community. And I really want to work really hard uh, in my work in the House to, to, to bring that kind of acceptance and, and inclusion to everyone statewide so that everyone in this community feels safe, feels accepted and, and embraced uh, in every, every aspect of their lives. So uh, I'm happy, happy to be here and happy to have this conversation. Thanks again, April. Great. Thank you, Representative. And Professor Lavelle. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, um, April and Irv, for, for having me on this program. I always enjoy it. Um, so I, I am a, a proud Legal Eagle. Uh, I graduated from North Carolina Central University and after school of law and, and afterward, I um, clerked for Judge Clifton Johnson on the, the Court of Appeals. So um, so that legal eagleness carried throughout that experience as well. And now I'm back at North Carolina Central, of course, where I've taught for and held a variety of administrative positions for over 20 years. Um, one of my areas of scholarship has focused on LGBTQ rights. Um, and I imagine we'll get into a little bit of that in our discussion today. Uh, as I like to tell folks, it's, it's probably the most important time in the history of the world to be engaged in this kind of scholarship. It changes on a yearly basis. And um, it's also uh, very personal to me in a couple of other ways. As you mentioned, I'm the, the mayor of Carborough, North Carolina, uh, where I'm completing my fourth term as mayor. Uh, before that, I was on the council for six years. And so, uh, you know, we've had many years of, of advocacy uh, before I even was elected to the council. Uh, we were uh, among the most progressive in the state in terms of doing what we could under, under state law, local law to advance the rights of our gay and lesbian uh, residents. Um, and then uh, I'll finally, I'll mention that uh, I too am an out elected official. Um, I'm the, currently the only uh, gay mayor, LGBTQ mayor in the state of North Carolina. Uh, there have been times where there have been four of us, right now it's just one. Um, and uh, my wife and I were married in a, a, a non-legal ceremony um, in 2004. And then we, were able to be married in a legal ceremony uh, in 2014. And we were really happy to be married at, at Carborough Town Commons. Um, I, I, was you know, I was mayor at the time um, and we invited the town and it was a really great celebration and a reenactment of, of, that, of that marriage kind of legalizing it. Uh, so anyway, I look forward to the conversation today. Great, excellent, excellent. So as I mentioned in the opening, June is Pride Month. And if both of you could share your thoughts on the meaning and significance of Pride Month. Well, I'll, I'll start uh, and then, and then uh, Bernetta can feel free to, to, to chime in. Um, I guess I'd like to say that um, I know in particular, I think two years ago, the 50th anniversary of, of Stonewall, I think that you know, the greater public became more aware of the history behind the movement and the history behind really what Stonewall was all about. Um, and Stonewall occurred on the early morning hours of June 28, 1969. And it was, of course, a, um, it, it kind of took place at a bar in Greenwich Village in New York City. And um, it was one of the bars where, um, where LGBT people could, could feel safe, uh, kind of going out, uh, being themselves, uh, being able to dance, being able not to look over their back, uh, there usually was some kind of um, undercurrent of cost to that. Um, and there was always the fear of, 
perhaps the the police uh, raided those kind of, of of bars or clubs or so forth, and that's what happened. That early that evening, um, the police were raiding the uh, establishment, um, and on that particular occasion, and this had happened a few times in in years prior, also in in other kind of uprisings that kind of culminated, I would say, in this very visible Stonewall riots. Um, that night, the kind of community fought back. Um, there was a lot of uh, interaction with law enforcement that evening. Um, it continued throughout the night. The next day, uh, for several days, actually ended up um, a year later, uh, New York City had its very first uh, pride parade. So it kind of ignited actually pride parades around the United States and around the world. Um, and it, it served as, I guess, the, 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 the match that lit um, and, and it kind of went from there. And, and something I like to say about that evening is because people today, we kind of forget um, how easy it is to document uh, events. Um, I think that there are maybe one or two photographs of that evening. Um, and so there, there are not, uh, <laughs> as today we have hundreds of photos documenting everything all around. Um, there's very little to kind of document that, that famous evening. But um, I know two years ago, again, with the 50th anniversary, uh, there were a lot of really good documentaries uh, prepared where they, they went back and interviewed all the folks that were there that evening. And it was a mixture of folks. I mean, it was, you know, black people, white people, uh, other people of color, uh, male, female, transgender folks. I mean, there were a lot of people that participated uh, on that evening um, and by accounts in the movement leading up to that evening. All right, then I'll, I'll go ahead and, and, and chime in. I, I appreciate that. Um, uh, Mayor Little's comments and and yeah, I think for me, pride. You know, I'm sure for as for a lot of people, means a lot of things. I think, um, you know, it's so much about uh, reflecting on our history and 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 kind of being intentional about creating space in our communities, in our media, uh, to tell these stories, to think about our history because it's you know it's. It's often so easy, I think, particularly for um, kind of uh, LGBTQ folks and in, in our in our uh, own personal experiences for those things to get kind of pushed out of the mainstream conversations. And um, and uh, so it, it just it's so important to kind of have the again kind of intentional space to really educate our communities and and appreciate what you know, folks like the, the folks who um, participated in the Stonewall riot and, you know, really kickstarted the movement for LGBTQ equality inclusion to, to think seriously about what they went through, uh, to kind of honor the sacrifices they, they made to put us, put up, you know, folks like Mary Lavelle and, and myself in the positions we're in right now, to sort of in leadership and to really continue to push um, uh, for the, the policy changes that we want to for this community um, and obviously it's about celebration. It's about, again, it's about, you know, uh, not taking for granted um, the progress we've made and, and thinking about what we have to do in the future to really achieve full equality and inclusion. So um, it's a fun time. It's certainly a happy time, but it's, it's also a very serious moment, um, I think in the year as well. Let, let me just, just raise this because, uh, you know, uh, Mayor Lavelle started out talking about the uh, Stonewall uh, confrontation that uh, uh, has served as the springboard uh, for the uh, pride demonstrations 
uh, that uh, that we have now all over the place. And uh, then uh, just uh, five years ago, uh, we had the uh, Pulse uh, nightclub uh, shooting uh, that uh, that that occurred down in uh, in Florida. And and my my question is directed to uh, this notion of the danger, uh, personal danger uh, that exists for being a part of the LGBTQ uh, community. We started with Stonewall. That was uh, violence being inflicted upon those persons who were in the club celebrating among uh, themselves. And the Pulse Club just five years ago had uh, pretty much the same thing where people were trying to celebrate among uh, themselves where they became uh, targeted. And this is uh, particularly true with uh, the trans uh, community where uh, people are being uh, murdered and unaccounted for uh, all over the, uh, the country. So can you speak to uh, this notion of the danger of being a part of this uh, yeah. community and how it uh, impacts you as an individual and the community at large? Yeah, I'll, I'll start on that if, if that's okay, Mayor Lavelle. Thank you, and thank sure. you, um, Er, for the question. It's just such such an important one. Um, and and yeah, I'll, I'll try to try to distill my answer into kind of two 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 parts. I think, you know, you referenced the Pulse uh, massacre, and then obviously Stonewall, and you know, those events obviously speak to um, the violence that folks in this community encounter, and also beg the issue that you know there's there there still you know, five years ago 50 years ago or even today you know even with the progress that we've made there's still only in so many parts of the country only a few isolated places where folks in this community feel safe to be themselves uh, and to live their lives and you know often historically that's been in in, in places like nightclubs and you know it's it's it, it just speaks to the level of um hatred that still exists towards these communities that even in these spaces where that spaces where where we feel safe and have historically just been able to you know kind of be feel freer to to live our lives and not feel persecuted that you know the hatred will come to those spaces and deliberately um uh try to do harm and to take people's lives um so at you know the 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 pulse situ the pulse uh, massacre pulse uh, nightclub massacre uh, again, just emphasizes that the issues that we were faced 50 years ago, in so many respects, we're still facing today, um, and you know begs the the kind of advocacy and, and and work that we still have to do. And personally, I'll say, particularly uh, you know, as someone who's also African American and uh, who's LGBTQ identified, who's you know fairly masculine presenting, you know, I, I you know like I said, I feel very safe and welcome in a place like Durham. But what really motivates me in my work is the fact that, you know, I don't necessarily feel safe once I, if I leave the triangle. Like for instance, right now, I'm, I've just driven an hour outside of, outside of Durham, uh, and you know, I'm in a rural part of the state, and you know, how I, how I, how I behave, the, the establishments I'm willing to go into, changes immediately. You know, I kind of operate with a different set of rules the second I leave, you know, really a metropolitan area. Um, and I know that that's the case for so many people because I don't know if I'm going to be denied service. I don't know if someone's going to, you know, use any sort of slurs toward me or, or try to do me physical harm. Um, and, you know, it's something that, you know, I'm conditioned to uh, understand as part of my reality. And that's the case, again, for so many people. And, 
um, living with that kind of fear and living with that kind of heightened sense of like crisis um, is something that I'd certainly love to make some progress on. And it's certainly in my lifetime, but absolutely in my tenure in the house. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it for Mayor Lavelle if you have anything to add. Thank you, um, Representative Alston. Great comments. Uh, I'll just comment briefly on, you know, the Pulse uh, massacre five years ago, a little over five years ago. Um, I was actually asked to speak at a vigil a couple of days after that, and it really, um, it really um, unnerved the community um, to, to think through uh, the fact that that happened in a club where people felt safe. And I, I kind of recounted that when I was in college, I went to school at St. Andrews University down in Laurenburg, and what we would do on weekends is we would drive two hours on a Saturday night to Charlotte to go to the gay nightclub to be able to dance and have fun all night. And then we would drive back home at like four in the morning, like two hours each way, maybe two and a half hours, just so we could find somewhere where we could be ourselves. And it was such a feeling of, of safety and sanctuary. And the idea that that Pulse nightclub shooting had happened in a club where, where a lot of young people, and it was a lot of Latino folks there, um, just felt safe and, and suddenly were, were killed. It was really unnerving and kind of, it reminded me of the campaigns, for example, in North Carolina, um, the Amendment 1 campaign several years ago when it was on the ballot that marriage was between one man and one woman. I just cannot believe the things that people would say out loud to, to other people or even on television or on radio or whatever. Um, just really discriminatory, inflammatory, uh, hateful, hateful things. And, and, and when that actually passed in North Carolina, it was really a sad time to realize that a majority of folks who voted actually felt that way. I mean, I think uh, the area of LGBTQ rights is kind of one of the last areas where you can kind of talk openly about your discrimination and do it legally. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's definitely there. Um, just because we're getting some legal protections in place, um, I agree with Representative Alston. It doesn't mean that there's safety uh, anywhere by by any means. You're listening to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. And we've been talking this hour with Renetta Alston, who is a member of the North Carolina House of Representatives, representing the 29th District, and Professor Lydia Lavelle, who is I'm the mayor of Carborough and also a professor of law at NCCU School of Law. And we've been talking this hour about LGBTQ rights and the ongoing fight for equality. We're going to have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. We hope you stay with us. Since 2010, the North Carolina Central University School of Law has been at the forefront of virtual legal education with the launch of its Virtual Justice Project. The Virtual Justice Project is an innovation in legal education and technology. NCCU School of Law pioneered this approach to address the underrepresentation of African American lawyers and a lack of access to justice for low income and marginalized communities. Virtual pre-law courses prepare students, wherever they are, for the rigor of law school. The Know Your Rights series offers legal information sessions that empower participants to understand the law and to promote self-advocacy. Both the pre-law courses and the legal information sessions are made possible through telepresence and high-definition video conferencing. 
course listings, and contact information, along with more detail about the Virtual Justice Project, are on the NCCU Law website at law.nccu.edu. And we're back. Thank you again for tuning in to the Legal Eagle Review here on WNCU 90.7 FM. I'm April Dawson and my co-host Irving Joyner and I have been talking this hour about LGBTQ rights and the ongoing fight for equality. And we have here with us in our Zoom studio, Lydia Lavelle, who is the mayor of Carborough and also a professor of law at NCCU School of Law and Vernetta Alston, who is a member of the North Carolina House of Representatives representing the 29th District. So right before the break, both of you were talking about the uh, very real issue of violence uh, that exists for members of the LGBTQ community. And, and even though there have been quite a few gains, uh, judicial uh, decisions, that have allowed for recognition of rights, some legislative uh, wins. There's still a lot of work left to be done. Can you two share some of the existing legal issues that are still affecting members of the LGBTQ community? Well, I think I'll start with, um, with some um, examples at the local level, and then maybe Representative Alston can kind of go through some of, I know what she's dealt with at the statewide level, but of course, um, one of the last areas, uh, broad areas, I should say, of, of discrimination that exists in our country is discrimination in terms of uh, public accommodation and employment of businesses that are less than, than 15 uh, employees. And so um, there is, in public accommodation, you know, by that we mean the right to discriminate against someone if you don't want to uh, bake their cake, uh, you know, design their jewelry, uh, I suppose, serve them lunch or dinner or have a hotel room, whatever, right? And so um, many, many states have statewide protection in these areas. Uh, and many states that do not have statewide protection, cities, towns, count counties, um, pass their own local protections. And so, so that's one area, and, and, and we don't, again, we don't have nationwide protection uh, along these fronts. Um, the, the Equality Act, which um, has, um, has uh, Congress has, um, has been introduced to the House or Senate over the years, um, has, has never been passed by the full body. So in North Carolina, uh, we recently um, uh, had saw the expiration of the HB2 compromise, um, which prohibited any local government from passing non-discrimination ordinances. That expiration happened in December of 2020. And so um, this year has been a series of efforts by local governments to pass those local non-discrimination ordinances that uh, do not permit discrimination in public accommodation and employment, um, less than 15 employees. So that's kind of slowly happening across the state at the local level. Um, it's uh, ideally, it would be something that was a statewide protection as it is in many other states. Uh, but I know those are two certainly legal areas, uh, a, a small employment and public accommodation, uh, which are being dealt with right now. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I I, I want to commend uh, Mayor Lavelle and and you know municipalities uh, and you know, local governments like Carborough and like Durham where where I live and and, and re represent um, for for really leading the way locally. You know, as soon as the sunset on each the uh, uh, non discrimination ordinance prohibition in HB two was lifted. Um, that they that they just they absolutely wasted no time in in extending non-discrimination protection to, to folks in their communities. So um, it was it's really created the momentum that we had hoped would at least um, kind of fortify the conversation at the state level uh, to pass you know statewide comprehensive non-discrimination protection. So myself and and uh, uh, Representatives Pricey Harrison and Susan Fisher filed uh, an Equality for All uh, Act, which is a comprehensive uh, non-discrimination bill, uh, very similar uh, to the uh, bill that was filed in 2019. And you know, we you know we said you know this is something that you know, our local governments are moving very swiftly on that North Carolinians want. You know, folks from uh, across party lines you know, want to extend these kinds of protections uh, to folks in their communities. Uh, and we should be responsive to that. Unfortunately, you know, the bill did not pass, didn't even get a hearing, uh, you know, which speaks again to the, the level of work and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, common understanding that we still have to, to, to achieve uh, in the General Assembly and, and in North Carolina. Um, but, you know, we'll keep following it. We'll, we'll keep you know, trying to make progress towards that, um, towards that goal. Uh, in addition to that, we filed a few other equality bills, one to, um, uh, to prohibit the use of gay and transgender, transgender panic as a defense to, you know, assault and homicide. Um, also a bill to completely wipe HB2 and HB142 off the books, um, even though a portion of that bill is now moot um, and not, not, not you know, uh, uh, enforceable. Um, and uh, we also filed a bill to ban conversion therapy as a practice um, against minors. Um, and so these, I think, were all bills that were that are urgent, that are needed, that help to protect uh, this the LGBTQ community broadly, but you know specifically um, kids. Uh, and our LGBTQ youth, and particularly our trans youth, who have been unfortunately the target of just this nationwide effort um, by, you know, some Republicans in many states. Uh, uh, this effort to really villainize, you know, these children, make it harder for them to access health care, make it harder for them to access mental health care, uh, you know, as they discover who they are and 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 their own personal needs and and to support their experiences. To you know, restrict their ability to participate in sports, uh, you know, to to go to school without being, you know, uh, to, to to go to to go to school without being, you know, uh, you know, judged and uh, uh, penalized, uh, you know, for just living their lives and and you know, being young people and growing into full human beings. So, um, you know, we fortunately did not have to take a vote on those bills. They did not make it far. Uh, which I hope speaks to a some progress um, in our understanding of the harm that those kinds of bills can do to people and particularly kids. Also, hopefully, a, a huge lesson learned from the economic impact of HB2. You know, fortunately, we had just a great um, and very impactful uh, immediate response from folks across 
you know, our business community and across so many institutions in North Carolina that said, we don't like, we're not going to, we're not going to stand for uh, this kind of hatred and intolerance, particularly of transgender youth. Um, and so we, you know, we're, we're able to keep those at bay, but, you know, as we've said many times already today, there's still so much work to be done. Well, let me ask you uh, specifically about uh, uh, Senate Bill 514, uh, which is uh, particularly galling uh, that the, uh, uh, a member of the uh, Senate would introduce a bill that would uh, prevent doctors from perform performing uh, gender confirmation uh, surgery on uh, individuals who are under uh, 21 years of age, even though 18 years of age is the age of uh, majority, and that uh, it would force uh, state employees to uh, notify parents uh, in writing if they had children under 21 years of age who displayed uh, gender nonconformity in their uh, interactions uh, with uh, uh, with the public, uh, in the schools or outside of the uh, schools, or express some uh, desires to be treated as a member of the opposite uh, uh, gender. Uh, so, can you kind of talk about just the um, the the mean spiritness of members of our legislature that would introduce? Uh, a uh, bill like that and have support for the enactment of those kinds of uh, uh, prohibition that even if passed would be, I would think, illegal, unconstitutional. Certainly, and I, I would certainly hope so as well. And I'd be, you know, more more than happy to support the argument that they are unconstitutional. I think, to your point, it's, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's terrifying. It was terrifying to see bills like that filed um, in North Carolina, but also in just other states as well. You know, the the degree to which, uh, again, some Republicans, certainly not all of them, but that some uh, will go to 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 try to really uh, kind of champion this this kind of hatred as like a as as a as a real uh, uh, feature of, of their policy platform. Uh, is really terrifying. It's terrifying in this immediate moment uh, because of the, the the threat that it put, you know, children under. And, and and I know that there are transgender youth or just you know gender nonconforming youth, youth who are just being kids and figure, figuring out life. Uh, they were and who also don't understand the process that we go through in the general assembly. Who, you know, knew in the, through the news that these bills were being filed and that. Uh, Senate Bill 514 in particular was filed and are, are, were, uh, were understandably afraid, uh, you know, didn't understand that, you know, that the bill has to be heard in committee and has to be voted on and this, that, and the other, uh, but, and were afraid, uh, particularly given our history with HB2, that, you know, something like that would actually become their reality. Um, and so it's, it's, it was terrifying, uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, infuriating, um, and uh, uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, I almost at a loss for words for how horrible it is. I mean, it's just unconscionable that, again, that. But when we have so many other issues that we could be debating and dealing with in the General Assembly, um, that they are spending their time and their resources to attack children, um, you know, who who may who may decide may not who may decide to live their lives differently than them. That kind of intolerance, that kind of hatred. 
um, should always be condemned and, you know, is, 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 is completely unconscionable. I think what I find most troubling about this type of proposed legislation too um, are often just the, the preamble language that, that's even before they get into the, the meat of, of the statute, proposed statute itself. Um, you know, they often cite um, flawed studies. They often cite um, minority views around health treatment. Um, they, so you kind of read all of that and you look at the names of some of these uh, bills they put forward, and they're, they're anything but what they purport to do by the name of the bill. For example, that one is called the Youth Health Protection Act. So it's a real study, I think, in just, uh, you know, kind of a political agenda uh, that's kind of shelled out to these parties across the United States to try to push forward, um, you know, the, the viewpoint of, of certain groups. Well, let me just raise, raise one other, other question uh, while, while we're on this, and this is in terms of uh, dealing with public perception and acceptance. Uh, there is a, um, a television series, uh, Pose, uh, in which uh, Billy Porter uh, is, uh, uh, I guess, spearheading, uh, but it is now in its second series. Uh, and it is uh, one that is highly rated uh, on the um, uh, on screens. And then, uh, of course, there are efforts by uh, people like RuPaul uh, to, uh, in the entertainment world, uh, to present more positive and understanding views of the uh, uh, LGBTQ uh, communities. Uh, what what are your feelings about the the value of those type uh, programs and efforts going on in the media uh, now uh, to make uh, presentable and acceptable uh, the uh, uh, lifestyles of members of this communities uh, these communities in very much the same way that uh, the media addressed uh, uh, racial discrimination uh, back in the sixties uh, and uh, and the seventies. Well, I'll quickly tell a story and then uh, Representative Alston, you feel free to give your viewpoint, but, but you know, um, representation in the media is, is really important. And in our class, uh, the class I teach, we talk about this a lot. We all look at examples over the years. I mean, I can still remember, I think, the, maybe the three movies that had gay characters in them uh, that I was aware of until I was about 30, right? I mean, it means a lot. But my, my wife tells the story that... Um, when she and um, her, her, her first partner, uh, with whom we have two children, um, when they first were, were going to have, start a family and have a child, um, that her parents, her mother was like kind of, you know, trying to figure out how she was going to tell her friends that her daughter and her partner were going to start a family. And, you know, she was with her group of friends and kind of brought it up that they, that they were expecting a baby and her friends got really excited and said, you know, it's just like Will and Grace. And, and, and it really made her mother feel like, oh my gosh, you know, we kind of helped shoulder that, uh, make it more normal, if you will, uh, and shoulder that angst that she was worried about. And so, yeah, I do think it's, it's really important. And, and, you know, now you can almost, it's hard to almost look at even any show that's kind of popular and you don't at least see, you know, one LGBTQ character. In fact, I think the Hallmark Channel even had a, 
sappy love story around Christmas that had a gay storyline on it this past year. So, yeah, that, to that point, I, I think too the, the uh, part of the value. Of, there's so many, so many valuable um, kind of outgrowths of this kind of representation. But you know, I think you know, there's a generation of young people, uh, you know, who just who take you know take for granted this kind of representation and. And, and I say that in a, in a positive way in that, you know, the, this kind of, there are LGBTQ people, you know, everywhere in all, all of our lives, in all of our communities. And so this, the kind of representation that we're starting to see represents the, our reality. Um, and so it should be a part of, um, you know, pop, popular culture, should be a part of television. Um, and it should be something that folks is, is, that is normalized and that folks are able to take for granted as something they can expect um, in their media and in their entertainment. And to, I, I really I really appreciated the two examples that you gave because, you know, you referenced two folks who are African-American. And I think also, you know, having such, having the popularity of kind of those two programs, those two public figures, and the representation that they bring, particularly for Black folks in the LGBTQ community, is, is so incredibly powerful. Um, you know, uh, I know Black trans folks are, are uh, disproportionately subjected to to violence, and and you know, historically, uh, you know, the stories of of Black people in LGBTQ kind of movement um, uh, have been have been left out, and I think we're seeing you know more of those stories being told, particularly in in in, in recent years, but. You know, to have you know such huge figures who are also a part of the Black community, I think is is so incredibly incredibly valuable, especially for those of us who kind of live at those that intersection. This is the uh, Legal Legal Review, and we are discussing uh, LGBTQ rights uh, with uh, Representative Renetta uh, Austin and uh, Mayor uh, Lydia uh, Lavelle. And uh, we're going to take a, a quick break right now. I want you to uh, stay with us as we continue this uh, very uh, important uh, conversation. But we'll be right back. Good evening. My name is Reginald Woods II, and I am a current 2L at the North Carolina Central University School of Law. And I would like to personally thank you for supporting and listening to the Legal Eagle Review, an informative and thought-provoking show that is made possible by the Virtual Justice Project of the North Carolina Central University School of Law, as well as listeners like yourself. For more information regarding the show or past episodes, for the latest happenings surrounding our host, please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Legal Eagle Review. Again, my name is Reginald Wist II, and thank you for listening. Okay, we're back on the uh, Legal Eagle Review. Thank you so very much for staying with us as we continue our discussion of LGBTQ uh, rights with uh, Representative Bernetta Alston, uh, who is a member of the uh, Durham County 
legislative uh, delegation and uh, Mayor uh, Lydia Lavelle, uh, the uh, mayor of uh, Carborough, uh, North Carolina, uh, here. And uh, we've been having a, a spirited conversation about LGBTQ uh, rights. Uh, earlier, Representative Austin talks about, uh, talked about the uh, uh, more favorable environment for members of the LGBTQ uh, communities uh, in the uh, Triangle uh, area. And uh, Durham is certainly a part, a vital part of the uh, Triangle uh, community. And can you kind of talk about uh, some of the things that uh, have uh, been uh, present uh, here uh, in this area that lends support to the notion that this is a, uh, a more friendly environment uh, for members of the LGBTQ uh, communities. Uh, so let's start with uh, Mayor Lavelle and then go to Representative Austin. Sure. Um, well, I mentioned earlier about how we had to travel to Charlotte to uh, to a gay bar when I was in college, but 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 many uh, for many 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 years um, there was uh, a, a a gay bar in Durham that a lot of folks you knew you could go to Durham you knew you could be safe you knew you could go to a club, um, and then I guess I'll also speak to I mean, I think Durham is uh, generally, you know, has had progressive values over all the years, you know, in terms of, of rights for, for, for black folks and civil rights activists and everything, right? But also um, the statewide pride parade has been held in, in Durham for many, many years. So folks come from, from all around the state uh, to sit on the wall around, uh, around Duke University's uh, campus there on Main Street. And and get to see um, a variety of folks and, and that uplifting spirit, I think it kind of spreads throughout the city. Yes, and, and I can I can boast proudly that Durham, you know, was the site to, to, to Mayor Little's point of the, I think the first uh, unofficial and then the first official uh, pride parades uh, in North Carolina. So it's a really, it's a really fabulous piece of our history. Um, and yeah, I think, I think, you know, Durham, you know, Carborough, Raleigh, these metropolitan areas, uh, such as they are, are, you know, they're, they're more populous. Uh, you know, we have, you know, these fabulous universities that kind of anchor our communities. We have, you know, we're fortunate to have such rich kind of economic activity, which just brings more people, more diversity, more viewpoints, uh, kind of across, across all areas. And I think anytime you have those types of environments, uh, it, it's going to make it safer. It's going to make it more likely that, that there there is a place where you can find community. That there are going to be more people like you than you might find in a more rural area. Um, more diverse politics. I know for Durham, it, you know, especially, um, you know, we are we are so racially diverse. Um, and you know, again, we also have a university that anchors um, our city and our economy. Uh, and you know, I think that that has helped. Durham to maintain a culture of, you know, kind of uh, forward thinking uh, politics and, uh, and, you know, to, to always have as a touchstone its own history and civil rights and to use that as a source of empowerment for, you know, doing something like hosting the first Pride Parade and, and then building upon that such that it's a place where, you know, like I said, I, I and my family, you know, pretty much anywhere we go at this point in our lives feel very safe kind of being. Um, and so we're very lucky to have that, um, you know, but I know that again, you know, like where I'm sitting right now, there, 
LGBTQ folks in this community, um, this you know more rural part of North Carolina, that that they're living a very different reality. Um, that they may not be able to be out. That they may have to drive an hour to Raleigh uh, to find a place where they can just kind of let loose and, and feel free and, and not feel like they're in kind of in imminent danger. Um, and so we've got to we've got to we've got to work towards making places like this, these small towns uh, in, a, in in rural North Carolina, safe places to be, uh, regardless of how populous they are. Yes, and Representative Alston, to to your point and the point that uh, Mayor Lavelle uh, has made as well, um, you know, there are those that are um, waging campaigns against progress of LGBTQ rights and recognitions. Um, SB 514, of course, a perfect example of that. But there are also people who are using religious exemptions as a means by which to be able to discriminate. And of course, there's this tension that's going on between uh, constitutional protections um, on the one hand that protect those in the LGBTQ community and religious constitutional protections that allow people to freely exercise their religious beliefs. So this really does tee up this discussion of a Supreme Court case that is currently pending before the court, Fulton v. City of Philadelphia. Um, but before we talk about that case, I think it's worth discussing the 2020 decision of Bostock v. Clayton County, uh, which was the case where the Supreme Court ruled that um, one cannot be discriminated based on sexual orientation or gender identity under federal employment laws uh, as it relates to um, employers who have 15 or more employees. And so, Professor Lavelle, you touched upon the employment discrimination a little early on when you were talking about those that have uh, employees of less than 15. Can you talk about the Bostock decision and the importance of it? Uh, yes. Um, so the Bostock decision, um, you know, which came down uh, in 2020, uh, June 15th, um, it was really interesting because it was authored by Justice Gorsuch, um, who is one of the more conservative members of the bench. But it, it, it came down to whether um, people were covered based on their sexual orientation or gender identity uh, under the Civil Rights Act of 1964 which prohibited discrimination uh, based on certain characteristics, prohibited employment discrimination. And um, within that case, the court held that um, folks could not be discriminated against uh, in terms of employment if they were transgender or LGBT or gay or lesbian. And, and that was a really huge decision. Uh, there were kind of two cases they were looking at. One involved um, two situations where, I guess it was three cases, two situations where people were just basically fired essentially because they were gay and the other one fired essentially because they were transgender. And that kind of blatant, um, just objective discrimination, uh, the court said was not permitted under their interpretation of sex under the um, Supreme, under the Civil Rights Act of 1964. So again, it was really a, a huge decision because of um, the constructionist, I guess, interpretation by Justice Gorsuch um, it was that there were still dissenters. Uh, we still had Justice Alito, Justice Thomas, Justice Kavanaugh descended for various reasons. 
but you did have J Chief Justice Roberts and uh, Justice Gorsuch siding with that majority uh, with some of the more liberal justices. And, and why it's really an important, I think, in my view, decision. Prior to that, a few years before that, we had the case of, of Masterpiece Bake Shop. And that was a cake baker who refused to bake a cake for a same-sex couple uh, based on uh, the cake baker's uh, religious belief. Uh, the court actually, the United States Supreme Court heard that case and kind of punted on a, a, a far-reaching decision. They decided it solely on the facts of that case. Um, and so that, that issue, as you said, Professor Dawson, is kind of still up there. But in the, in the interim between that case and whatever will come next, perhaps some bit of the Fulton case will address this, we've had this remarkable Bostock decision, which I think adds to the body of law in a really positive way for the LGBTQ community. And Representative Olson, can you share your thoughts on um, the, the impact of Bostock and Bostock and what your reaction was when the decision came down. Uh, and can you talk about how that leads into the Fulton v. City of Pennsylvania case, um, which will address kind of, you know, head on the religious exemptions, which were not dealt with the court or dealt with by the court in Bostock? Sure, thanks. And, and so, uh, you know, I think in terms of the, I mean, I think the impact is is obviously enormous, uh, you know, for a decision like Bostock, um, you know, in that folks can, you know, don't have to be concerned that they're going to be either retaliated against at work or, or denied an employment opportunity uh, or fired, uh, let go from their jobs. Um, simply because of their sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, and, you know, in terms of my reaction, I'll tell you, I remember, you know, I obviously can remember very clearly when the decision came down and, you know, had this moment of, you know, uh, you know, reading the decision and thinking about kind of what to say in response and just had this moment of like, so we just got this person. It's, you know, you kind of, you don't realize sometimes uh the degree to which you're being discriminated against <laughs> until a, a big change and a big evolution like this happens. Cause I just had this moment of like, oh my God, I just got this protection today. Like yesterday I could have been fired from my job because of my sexual orientation. And now like, I just got this today. Like what is, what is like, what I, I was, you know, I was kind of my processing of, you know the extension of this kind of civil right was, uh, uh, very dynamic to say the least. And, um, you know, it, and so it was hard. It was obviously, it was a great moment. It was a happy moment, but it was also, you know, again, kind of infuriating that like, you know, again, a year ago this time, you know, I wasn't protected in this way or, you know, folks who were similarly situated weren't protected. And, you know, fortunately now we are. So anyway, it's a little rambly, but uh, hopefully a helpful answer for you. Um, uh, in, in terms of looking forward, uh, you know, the, the whole issue of religious exemptions, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we broached that or uh, nearly approached that with a bill that was filed uh, by one of our Republican colleagues uh, this session uh, addressing religious exemptions for, um, uh, for, for uh, magistrates uh, to perform same-sex marriages um, in our, in, through, our, through our courts. And, you know, it just comes down to, you know, <laughs> 
if you if you don't want like performing a marriage, for instance, just using that as an example, if you're a magistrate, you 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 take that on as a as a part of your job, you know. And if and if you don't want to do that, it, it, it there to me there isn't a conflict in terms of you know your ability to exercise your religious beliefs in your employment if the if you know what what you're signing up for to begin with as an employee and the alternative is to deny someone uh their civil rights deny someone uh protection constitutional protection that our courts have validated um to me there's no conflict there um and you know we'll, we'll wait to see kind of you know how how that that kind of area of the law develops hopefully in the next days, weeks, months, and years. But um, to me, I don't have a lot of sympathy, particularly in the employment context for these religious exemptions. It's, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's just another, you know, kind of arrow in the quiver of folks who want to continue to deny folks in this community their, their rights. Right. And that leads us directly to the Fulton v. City of Pennsylvania uh, city of, of Philadelphia case. And Lydia, can you talk about the facts of that case and uh, when do you think we might be hearing from the court on this? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Um, so this case was heard the day after the election. It was heard on Wednesday, November 4th. And while the perhaps most Americans were thinking, oh, Justice Barrett is gonna be on the, um, the, the health ACA case the next week, a lot of us were thinking, oh, she's on this case on, you know, on November 4th. And so it was one of her, one of her first cases. Um, and, and it's interesting. So, so this case, just in a, in a nutshell, uh, the city of Philadelphia um, gave out contracts to different groups um, to perform, um, to serve as kind of adoption uh, agencies for, uh, in conjunction with, you know, I guess their, their Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, and in any event, one of the groups that they gave monies to 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 place children in in, in homes was Catholic Social Services, and um, and um, the city of Philadelphia had a non-discrimination clause, you know, saying you couldn't discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation, but you know CSS did not want to place children with same-sex couples. So you had a classic kind of um, you know clash of a non-discrimination clause of a city versus, you know, a religious belief of CSS. And um, it kind of, uh, the conversation, you know, so it's a free exercise kind of argument. Uh, there's a case, Employment Division versus Smith. Uh, Professor Dawson, I'm sure you're familiar with, but it's kind of at the heart of this case uh, that may or may not be overturned or brought up. Uh, I don't think it will in this case, but a couple of justices talk like they want to revisit that case. But in any event, you know, the question was whether, you know, the government could condition the um, the uh, awarding of this contract on the awardee not discriminating. And I, I think that these facts are unique enough. Uh, you know, talk about a contract, a private contract. Um, you're, it, you don't have a right to a contract. Um, the CSS gets a lot of other contracts from the city to do a lot of other things. Um, and so it's, it's really you know, non-discrimination type um, activities. So, so that's what the case is that's going to come out that the justices are going to decide on. It's a little different than a public accommodation case, right? Um, but still, it does bring up these questions of free exercise. And if you listen to the oral arguments, it's hard to figure out how it's going to come out. Justice Barrett played it pretty close to the vest. Um, some of the other players asked questions such as you thought they would ask. 
But yeah, it's going to come out sometime in the next couple of weeks, every Monday and Thursday at 10 a.m. Uh, folks are uh, on the SCOTUS blog, watching to see if it comes down, and um, we'll see what happens. All right. So, you know, this area, um, things have been moving pretty quickly in, in a relatively short time period. There's you know, which is which is great uh, because there's been a need for judicial recognition, legislative recognition. Um, we've talked about the public perception and the acceptance. And so we'll be on the lookout for the decision in this particular case. And uh, we'll probably ask the two of you to come back uh, <laughs> so we can talk about it because what it what could happen is it could undercut some of the gains that were made in the Bostock decision. Uh, hopefully it won't. It will also provide some insight as to what we can expect from a Supreme Court that looks very uh, different from the Supreme Court that decided Obergefell. So there's still a lot to talk about in this area, but we are just about out of time. So we're going to have to end it here but we'd like to thank our guests for taking time out of their very busy schedules. Representative Vernetta Alston, who is a member of the North Carolina House of Representatives, representing the 29th District, Mayor Lydia LaVale, who is the mayor of Carborough and also a professor of law here at NCCU School of Law. And we've really enjoyed this discussion, incredibly important discussion during June, which is Pride Month on LGBTQ rights and the ongoing fight for equality. And of course, we'd like to thank you, our listening audience, for spending your Sunday evening with us. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email. You can reach us at legaleaglereview at nccu.edu. And if you ever miss this show on Sunday, you can find the show on our Legal Eagle Review podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Until next week, stay informed, engaged, healthy, and safe.